Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Our scripture for this morning is from Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God. Well, we are beginning the second week of a series that we're in that's called Blank Gives Life. Blank Gives Life. And so what this is over the next few weeks in this summer, we're kind of on a journey of discovering what are some of the things that we have really as gifts to us that have been given by God, things that are kind of unfolded in the scriptures that are meant to be kind of practices that we, we can begin or continue or sort of deepen in our own lives to experience more and more as things that give life into our lives. We all have things and know things that kind of give us life, and we all know things that kind of suck the life out of us, but God has given us all sorts of gifts that we're going to kind of uh, explore over the the course of this series, spiritual practices that are meant to actually give us the life that God has always intended us to have in different ways. And Vijay, as he introduced this uh, series last week, he talked to us a little bit about the Greek language. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. Um, The Old Testament was translated into Greek as one of its very first translations into a different language. Um, And this word, life, that we translate in English has two Greek words that are kind of associated with it. One is bios, the other is zoe. And so this is, there's a really important distinction between the two. Bios kind of, that's where we get the word biology from. This is sort of where we understand sort of the, the physicality of life, right? Like the things that we can see and taste and touch. Um, um, biology, uh, uh, physiology, chemistry, this is all the stuff that sort of makes up the world as we kind of see it. But then there's more to life than just that. There's zoe life. This is kind of more about vitality, not just physicality, but vitality. This is kind of stuff that makes us feel truly alive, right? This is the kind of stuff that we all long for, like pleasure and joy and peace and intimacy and satisfaction and meaning and significance in our life. This is Zoe life. And Vijay made a really interesting point. He said, you know, really, like, we actually live in a culture where the dominant worldview is that really there's nothing more to life than bios. Everything that we can see kind of around us, the purpose of life, the meaning of life, the origin of life, all of it can really be explained by bios. But isn't it interesting that more than ever before, more than ever before, we are actually a culture consumed with the pursuit of Zoe. We're consumed with the pursuit of kind of meaning and joy and satisfaction and peace in our life. How can it be, you know, isn't that just one of the greatest indications that there's more to life than just by us because so much of us is wired to pursue Zoe. And you know, many of you know our daughter is named Zoe. This is why we actually named her Zoe because we knew it meant life and this is actually what we wanted for her life. That's certainly what we want for all of our lives. We want our lives to be not just bios, but zoe life, to be lives that are filled with life, like vitality, and not just from our own kind of selves that we can sort of muster it up, but actually a life from God. And we, we like teach Zoe this. We want her to know what her name is. And I just love it. So often when we ask her, Zoe, what does your name mean? She said, it means life. And yes, that's what it's supposed to mean. We actually want her to be a person that is filled with the life of God and that spreads that life around to others as well. That's what we actually want for all of us. And um, 
You know, Vijay mentioned this point last week as well, just kind of by way of introduction. He said, so often for most of us, probably for all of us, when we think about the things that give us life, Religion isn't one of the things that comes to mind off the, off the top of our heads, right? Religion isn't one of those things. Why? Because most often, religion is kind of associated by most of us with sort of to-dos, rules, burdens, have-tos. Uh, a lot of things that maybe are told, uh, that we're told to do by maybe a pastor or a priest or a holy person or an imam or whatever. And, and often we don't even know why we're supposed to do it. We're just told that we are and don't really ask too many questions and somehow it's going to make God happy and make things right between you and God. That's what religion does. It kind of sucks the life out of us. But this is never what God has intended our lives to be. Not from the very beginning. He has never intended our lives to be full of kind of burdensome religious rules. And so the story of scripture actually starts out like that. And it says that God created Adam and Eve as the first two human beings. And then it says he breathed life into them. He breathed, and this isn't bios life. It says he breathed zoe life into them. He actually created them from the very outset to have like vitality in their lives, not simply physicality, not just bios, not just getting by, not just existing. And then when Jesus came into the world, he actually said, you know what? There are forces in this world that will seek to steal and kill and destroy your life. But he said, I have come. I have come that you would know life and know it to the full. That you would know Zoe and know it to the full. And this is one of the reasons why we're doing this series. Because as the scriptures kind of continue to unpack their story, we're given all sorts of examples and opportunities for us to engage in these spiritual practices that are meant to mark kind of who we are as the people of God, as people seeking to know the life of God. And what really they're meant to be is kind of doorways that sort of open up a greater capacity for us to know the Zoe, life of God. And so this week, we're going to be talking about the spiritual practice of Sabbath. Um, That might be a familiar word to you. It might not be. Hopefully by the end of today, it will kind of be unpacked a little bit more for you. Um, And I'm actually really excited to talk about this because I think that out of all of the spiritual practices that we're talking about through this series, and really out of all the spiritual practices that there are, this one should be the easiest one for you to say yes to. Why? Because all the other spiritual practices that there are, you know, Vijay talked about fasting last week, there's scripture reading, there's prayer, there's all sorts of other ones. All of them are asking you in some way, shape, or form to do something. But Sabbath is actually asking you to do nothing. Sabbath is asking you to do nothing. And you know what? It's for that very reason that I think Sabbath is actually one of the hardest ones for most of us to be able to say yes to, to actually fully engage in Sabbath the way it was meant to be. Um, We're going to unpack that a little bit. Why? But why? Why is that? Why is it so hard for us to say yes to something like Sabbath? Why? Because Sabbath actually means um, to stop. That's literally what it means. It means to cease, to stop, to stop... um, Um, all of our work for a 24-hour period of time. And like I said, most of us actually, we all, most of us actually have a long, a deep longing to just take a break, you know, to have space like, like this, where like I said, where you can just go, ah. But at the same time, most of us have no idea really how to stop. We are just wired to go, 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 because we are actually entrenched in living in this culture of busyness. And I'm going to try and prove it to you. I hope it's going to prove itself right. But I'm going to give you a little quiz. And I just if, if you're brave enough to, you can just put up your hand if you can answer yes to any of these questions, okay? So let's try it. In the last month or two, can you answer yes to any of these? In the last month or two, just think about the last little while of your life. Who has answered the question, you know, how are you doing with the word, oh, busy? Yeah. Oh, great. Um, 
Who has tried to get together with a friend and you couldn't find time in the next month that worked for both of your schedules? Yeah, interesting. Um, who has stayed up, who stayed up too late watching TV because you're too tired to get off the couch and go to bed? Um, who, has, who has used some kind of substance, so whether it's coffee or an energy drink or maybe like a pop with caffeine in it, some kind of substance to help you, hopefully nothing more intense than that, uh, some kind of substance to get you through the day? Yeah, great. Um, who's gone to work on Monday morning exhausted from the weekend? Yeah, this is just in the last month or two of your lives, guys. We, we are entrenched in a culture of busyness. We're, in, we're bathed in it. Uh, we are trained how to be busy, and, and we train our kids how to be busy from the day that they're born. Um, and so products are made and commercials are made so to actually maximize your time, to make us more efficient, to make us more productive, to give us the capacity to do more in less time. Why? Because that seems to be the value that runs our culture. But it's so interesting, you know? And, and many of you are busy for different reasons, which I get, I acknowledge. And so some of us are actually in jobs where there's kind of a work culture that kind of prides themselves on how many hours you can work in a day, how late you can stay up at night, how many hours you can bill a client in a given week. And it kind of becomes a badge of honor in our workplace. It's things that we kind of complain about, but really they're sort of bragging too. And that kind of, you know, um, mixed kind of bag of sort of pride and, and tense, like we get that it's messed up too, but it's sort of there. And, and some of us actually just work you know, not only is the culture of busyness there as a kind of badge of honor, but for some of us, at the very least, it's maybe a little bit more of a security blanket for you. You just know that if you can kind of, you got to continue to work the long hours because, you know, if you work a little bit more to the, the guy sitting beside you or the girl sitting beside you, when the time comes for layoffs, hopefully they'll choose them over you, right? So we're kind of forced into this kind of culture of busyness that works in our lives. For others of us, maybe it's more of like busyness is kind of a hand-to-mouth issue for you. You're just busy because you've got to put food on the table. So maybe you've got a couple jobs that you're sort of working. Or maybe you're working one job and going to school in the evenings or weekends to be able to get another job that pays more. Why? Because you've got to be busy because no one else is going to be busy for you, right? You've got to put food on the table. You've got to keep a roof over your head. These are simply the pressures of life that keep us busy. Um, others of us are busy just because there's so much good stuff to do. And so... Um, you don't want to miss out on any of it, right? And so our weekends are full, like our leisure, not just our work time, like our, our work days are busy enough, but then our weekends are kind of packed full and our evenings are packed full with sports and entertaining people and activities for the kids and classes that you're taking and maybe initiatives that you're part of or that you're leading or whatever. And so our lives are kind of chock full of busyness and none of this stuff is bad in and of itself. We know that. Work isn't a bad thing and leisure isn't a bad thing. They're actually both meant to be part of a healthy life and a healthy life in God. But the problem with busyness is that we know this. We all experience it, right? At the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, we're always more tired. Not just more tired, but more disconnected relationally and more disjointed in our own spirits than we were when the day or the week or the month started. That's what busyness does to us. Um, and I don't need to spend time to talk about all the articles that are written and the studies that are done that tell us all the negative side effects of busyness, right? how it increases our anxiety. We live in a culture of anxiety now more than we ever have, how it um, decreases the quality of our relationships, um, how as a culture we feel more isolated than we ever have before. And the truth is we're not even really that much more productive. We're not even really that much more productive, but we are entrenched in this culture of busyness. I think it's so interesting that when God gave the commandment, as Steve read in the 10 commandments to take Sabbath, 
not right there, but actually a few chapters later, a few short chapters later, God actually follows up the command to Sabbath with a warning. And he said, you need to take the, 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 uh, the, the Sabbath day to rest because it's a holy day. It's a day cut above, set apart. And anyone who doesn't rest on the Sabbath needs to be put to death. And so God says, if they don't, if they don't Sabbath, they need to be killed. And I think that's really interesting. Well, I think what's, what's more interesting about our own experience of that is that the truth is many of us actually kind of experience that. Busyness kind of has the power to suck the life out of us, to kind of slowly and methodically kind of bring death into our lives. So um, what I want to do for the rest of our time is kind of unpack how Sabbath is not meant to be kind of one more religious ritual to do that's kind of one more burden to bear in your already overburdened life. Sabbath is not meant to be a burden for us to be endured. It's meant to be a gift for us to enjoy. It's not meant to be one more burden to be endured. It's meant to be a gift for us to be enjoy, or for us to enjoy. Um, there's a guy by the name of uh, Pete Scazzaro. We're going to be actually hearing a little bit more about him probably in the fall as we go into a series on emotionally healthy spirituality. That's going to be uh, not until October, but he's written a bunch of books and he's written uh, pretty extensively on the, this whole thing called Sabbath. And so this is what he says about it. He says, Sabbath is like receiving the gift of a heavy snow day every week. Stores are closed, roads are impassable, suddenly you have the gift of a day to do whatever you want. You don't have any obligations, pressures, or responsibilities. You have permission to play, to be with friends, to take a nap, to read a good book. Few of us would give ourselves a no-obligation day very often. God gives us one every seventh day. I think that's so interesting. Many of us actually feel guilty when we don't have enough to do. We don't even know how to be in rest. But God's design is actually that we would have a gift like this one day in every seven. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is kind of unpack what this gift is meant to look like in our, in our lives so that it can actually be a true gift for us, okay? Um, so first off, here's what Sabbath means. I mentioned this already. Sabbath simply means stop. It literally means to cease, to stop, to stop doing any and all work. And so this means stopping our, our paid work. Um, but it also means stopping our like, non-paid work as well because we all know there's tons of non-paid work. There's housework, there's cooking, there's cleaning, there's taking care of the kids, there's running errands, there's shopping, there's doing all this stuff. Sabbath actually means to stop all of it. Sabbath is not just a day to get stuff done at home. It's not just a day to run errands, right? Um, those days kind of disappear faster than we know what to do with, right? Sabbath is meant to be a day that all of it stops. And not just the work, but what's really meant to stop is our busyness, our hurry, this kind of frantic, anxiety-filled, um, fretting, hurried, time-crunched way that we so often do life. Um, and it's meant to be for a full day. It's meant to be for a full 24-hour period. And so some people say, well, I take my Sabbath two kind of different days a week, and I just do a half day here and a half day there. No, that's one way to do it. But I really think like the way that God's intended, it's, it's really meant to be like for a full day, like a full day chunk, a full 24-hour period. Uh, the, the people of Israel, when they celebrated Sabbath, they would always do it sundown at Friday night. And so it would start with um, a, a dinner, like a family dinner together and would go all the way to sundown Saturday night. That's how it was. For us, the day might be uh, different. I think Sunday is a great day for us to Sabbath. We're going to get into that a little bit more too. Um, but it's a day to stop. And many of you, when you hear that, you would actually go right there and you'd say, well, you know what? To be honest, Tony, um, that sounds great. It sounds like a great idea to actually take a full day and just to stop and not do anything. But it's just not realistic for me. I just have too much to do. 
Um, so I can't really do that. So it's a great idea, but thanks, but no thanks, right? This is really hard for us to actually implement. But what I would say is, if we say this, that I can't stop for a day, I just have too much to do, it actually, um, like we need to understand that it points to a lie that we are operating out of, and most of us are, that God has never intended for us to operate out of. And it's simply this, that I can only rest when my work is done. I can only rest when my work is done. Okay? God has never intended us to operate out of that. Like, for a couple reasons. One, because our, our work will never be done. There's always one more email to write. There's always one more phone call to return. There's always one more project to finish. There's always one more, you know, whatever it is. There's always one more. And so this kind of thinking actually leaves us in, uh, in a hole that we'll, ne- that we'll never really get out of. It's not how God has intended us to work. But um, I think way more importantly than that, just that it's, it's, it's a lie because it never works. There's always more to do. But way more importantly than that is that this kind of thinking is actually totally backwards to how God has designed us to be. It's literally totally backwards, and it's in the story. I think it's so cool. So if we look at the story of creation, right? Many of us are familiar with that. Um, It's a story of creation happening in six days, and it says on each day God was creating different things. And so it says he created light and darkness. He created, excuse me, the sun and the moon and the stars on another day. He created um, um, the, the, the earth and the sky, and he filled them with plants and animals. And then it says on the sixth day of creation, he created Mankind, humanity, man and woman. And it says they were like the crowning achievement of all of his creation. They were made in his image, it says. And then it says um, uh, he, 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 he pronounced a blessing over them. He said, ah, oh, this is very good, right? And he looks over at all of his creation, but especially humanity that he's made in his image. He says, ah, oh, this is very good. And then it says this. It says, so thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. He made it a cut above. This was meant to be the most special day of the week. Because on it, he rested from the work of creating that he had done. You see, God didn't rest because he needed to. It's not like he needs a moment to go, ha, he doesn't need a moment to catch his breath. He's tireless, right? Um, He rested so that he could be fully present to all of the creation that he had just made. And he rested so that all of his creation could enjoy and be fully present to him. He rested to delight and to be, not to do. He's actually setting a pattern for who we are as people made in his image. Because I think what's so cool is that, yes, this was the seventh day of creation, but you know what? It was actually the first day for Adam and Eve. It was the first full day for Adam and Eve. They were made on day six and day seven, God rests. So I think this is so cool. God makes them, right? He breathes life into them, makes them in their image. And then it actually says he commissions them as well. He actually gives them a job to do. And if you think your job is important, how about this? Take care of the whole world. That's what he tells Adam and Eve, right? This is your job, to manage all of this stuff. Take care of all of it and make babies. And then he says, now for our first order of business, have the day off. That's what he says. For first order of business, take the day off. I think it's so cool. Um, he creates them, he commissions them to work, and then he calls them to rest. And this is the thing that is so backwards, and we don't get this, because we believe that we are meant to rest only after we work. But God means us to work out of our rest. We believe that we're meant to rest only after we work, but God actually intends us to work out of our rest. 
This is actually the gift that he wants to give us, to enjoy all of his work. And this is what Sabbath really is then. It's meant to become this kind of reorienting, reintegrating, recreating, in a sense, act so that we can get things in us made right according to God. That's what, that's what that first day was. Like, know who you are and know who I am. And here's one of the things that we need reorienting in our lives over and over and over and over again. It's simply this, that God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. And so Sabbath is this gift that actually reminds us this, but it actually calls us to faith, that if we're going to stop our work for a full day, that I really have to believe that my life is not going to fall apart and that the world is not going to fall apart that I really have to believe that God is big enough and powerful enough and actually loves me enough that there's still going to be food on my table, there's still going to be a roof over my head, that things in my life are not going to fall apart in the next 24 hours. And so it's meant to be this reorienting thing, but it's, it's an act of trust. And actually, that's a gift because faith is a muscle that needs to be exercised. And so if we don't use the muscle of faith, our faith grows weaker. And when we use the muscle of faith and, and we see God actually coming through, that muscle grows stronger. Our faith grows stronger. And so it's actually this gift to actually use our faith muscle on a weekly basis, at the very least once a week, to say, I'm not going to work because I believe that God is God and I am not. But then it grows when we actually see him coming through on that. When we begin to actually incorporate this practice of Sabbath into our life on a regular rhythm, we actually see God providing for us. We see that there's still food on the table. We see that there's still a roof over our head, that our life has not fallen apart, and God has come through, even though there's so many things on my to-do list that still need to get done, but God is at work. He's the one that never stops working so that I can. So what I want to do is sort of say, okay, so if this is what Sabbath is, it's meant to be this thing that we stop, we cease completely for a 24-hour period, and we cease all work, well, what are some of the things that we're meant to sort of fill our Sabbath day up with then? I want to unpack just three things as brief as I can. Sabbath is meant to be a day where we relate, where we recreate, and where we celebrate. Sabbath is meant to be a day where we relate, where we recreate, and where we celebrate. Okay, it's meant to be a day where we relate, really where we enjoy God and people, where we enjoy God and people. And we already kind of talked about this in the creation story briefly, right? This was the whole point of the seventh day. God creates all things and then he rests. Why? So that he could enjoy all that he made and the people that he made in his image and so that they could fully enjoy him. Um, but it's, it gets unpacked kind of even more as the story of scripture kind of unfolds. And so we see the passage that Steve read for us a little bit uh, ago in Exodus 20. This is in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are in two places in the Bible, but this is the first place they are in Exodus, Exodus 20. And the command to take a Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. And it mentions a really interesting thing about relating. So let's see if you can pick it up. We'll read it again. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing, foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord uh, blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I think this is so funny. 
You know, like, it's so interesting that God, that it goes into all this detail about all these different people that, are, that have to rest, all these different people that are not meant to do work, right? Why doesn't he just say, no one should do work? No, but he says, you and your sons and daughters and your slaves and any foreigners and all these people, right? Why? Because God's actually passionate that no one is meant to miss out on this. No one is meant to be cut off from the gift of, of this weekly rhythm of rest, of this weekly kind of reorienting gift to God's ways which are better and higher than our own. But everyone is meant to have to, like, to be able, like to have the freedom to relate, not on a transactional basis, but on a relational basis. Everyone's meant to be freed from their work so that we can relate truly, not on a transactional basis, but on a relational basis. Um, and friends, you know, church is actually an amazing place for this to happen for us to relate in a Sabbath way, both with God and with others. Why? Because we come together to actually, like this is what church is for us, right? It's meant to actually be a reorienting gift where we can actually create space in our lives so that we allow God to speak into our lives and to kind of realign and reorient the ways that we think, the ways that we believe, our priorities, the things that we delight in and love, and actually speak life into our lives. It's meant to be a time where we can relate and then sing praises back to him, you know, and connect with him, but it's also meant to be a time where we can relate with, with one another. And I know that there are some of you that feel like this is a great uh, kind of platform to do. There are others that really struggle um, in that kind of connecting and relating kind of in the horizontal way. But I just want to share with you um, two things that have really helped me in kind of the Sabbath activity of church to engage in it and for this to actually become more and more a true gift, both in relating with God but also with other people. Um, prayer before and connecting with people afterward. And so <clears throat> I'm trying to actually take opportunities to encourage you and to tell you and to let you know that every Sunday, whether you realize it or not, you are being prayed for before the service by a number of people. And so at 9.15 before the service, we kind of meet out. There's usually a very small group of us. I would love to see this group grow um, uh, just by the escalator to pray for the service. And we are praying for you. And we are praying for the word as it goes out. And we are praying for our worship time. We're praying for the conversations that happen before and after. We are praying that no one who comes here would leave unchanged. We are praying that each one of you will see the face of Jesus in some way, shape, or form through our time together. We're praying that God would do things that we in, in our own human ways and wisdom and strength could never do. We're praying for you. We're praying that God will work in power. And what I found, like if I'm honest, this would probably, if, if it wasn't part of my job, it probably wouldn't have been something that I would have started doing. But I've been doing it for years now, and I found, have found that it's actually become a precious gift to me because it becomes something that stirs faith and expectation in me so that I can engage in the service in a way that I otherwise never would. How, you know, some of us kind of come, we're sort of frantic, and we're getting the kids in the car, and we're rushing, and we get here, thankfully, oh, but this, we're into the second song of the opening set, and, we're, oh, and then we've got to rush out afterward, too, because we've got an appointment or somewhere to go or a, a, a sports thing to take your kids to or whatever, right? No, but how can we, so, so this is where the other piece is on the, on the other side of it, is connecting with people afterward. And so again, this is part of my job, but I'm just so blessed by it. Like I have the privilege to connect often with lunch with many of you, or over lunch or in conversation after the service with many of you. So I have the privilege of kind of doing like our baptism prep lunches or our place to be lunches or our membership prep lunches or different times where, you know, I'm meeting with different uh, people to kind of counsel or encourage or whatever or pray with them. Um, and it's often it's over a meal. And it's just such a gift to actually have the privilege to hear the stories of what God is doing in so many of you. Um, and to somehow be a part of that as I get to kind of journey alongside you. And so, you know, these are two things. Praying before the service has become this kind of preparatory gift for me to be able to engage and like come into the service with a level of faith that I never would have had on my own. 
and then connecting with people after the service. Um, to be able to hear and be reminded of all the things that God is doing in other people's lives. And that's just so cool. And you know, one of the things that, it had, that both of these things have in common is they actually require me to make margin both before and after the service. They require me to not rush here just in time and then rush out to get to something else, but to actually leave space and create space for God to work and to speak in those things. We're meant to relate on Sabbath. Okay, we're also meant to recreate. Um, to do things that are going to fill you with Zoe life. And that's what we talked about that in the garden. That's what God did with Adam and Eve on the first day. They just enjoyed. They just delighted. They took pleasure in all the good things that God had made. And so, you know, this is a chance for you to do that on your Sabbath day. So what are some of those things? It might look different for all of us, whether it's going for a walk, playing a sport, reading a book, taking a nap, having a long, unhurried conversation, eating good food, drinking good wine. These are all good gifts that God has given us. You know, how can we actually enjoy them? And take time to enjoy the things that God has actually done for us. Um, we're meant to enjoy creation in a sense so that we can remember we're part of it. And not just part of it, but we're the crowning achievement of it. That we've been made in God's image. That's actually what recreation means. To recreate, and in a sense, to be recreated. You know, our Sabbath day is a day where we're actually kind of meant to be recreated uh, restored, refueled, refilled with the life of God by enjoying all of his good gifts. Um, and I think one really, really important thing in all of this, because that can look like anything, we're all wired differently, and God's given us all sorts of gifts to be able to enjoy, but one important thing that I just so firmly believe needs to be like ruthlessly annihilated from our Sabbath recreation, and it's hurry. It's exactly what I said with the services, right? Like with, with Sunday service, man, we need to eliminate hurry. We have to eliminate hurry, deadline, time constraints from our Sabbath. I just know one of the things I love to do that's life-giving for me is to like um, um, do little projects around the house, right? But I, I, I learned a few years ago that I need to stop saying this is a project I have to get done today because a, a, a life-giving thing for me became a life-sucking thing for me. Because I had the deadline and I was like, oh, I got to work hard to get this done. And then I wouldn't spend, you know, time with my wife or with my kids the way because I was working on the project and whatever. And oh, I'm like missing the whole point. Now, so I've actually learned to say on my Sabbath, I do everything that I can to eliminate deadlines, to eliminate time constraints, to eliminate hurry. You all know what it's like, I'm, well, hopefully, if you're anything like me, and I'm a little bit anal sometimes. So um, if you're at a, an event or an activity or a party with friends, but you've got another one to get to or another something to get to that starts at a certain time, and if you're anything like me, you just can't fully engage in that first thing because you're sort of thinking, oh, is this going to go long? Am I going to be late? Oh, well, how am I going to get there? What's traffic light? I've got it in the back of my head the whole time, so I can't fully be present in the thing that I'm in. Now oh, we're meant to be like to recreate, to be fully present, to fully enjoy the gifts that we have been given. Another quote from Pete Scazzaro, he says this, I'll never forget the first time I took pleasure in warm water running over my hands in a McDonald's restroom on a Sabbath. I slowly dried my hands, rubbing them together under the dryer as the water dissipated. I did not run out of the restroom drying my hands and my pants as I walked to the car. I did not skip putting soap all over my hands. I relished the present moment and tasted the Sabbath gift of simply washing my hands. Isn't that cool? How can we ruthlessly eliminate rush and hurry so that we can be recreated people on our Sabbath? Okay, relate, recreate, celebrate. Um, oh, I love this one. We are meant to stop the work that we are doing so that we can celebrate the work that he has done. 
On Sabbath, we are meant to stop the work that we are doing so that we can celebrate the work that he has done, that's finished, that's accomplished. I love this because it's all through Scripture. This whole pattern of, of stopping our work and, and focusing on God's accomplished work. So it's in creation, right? This is what God did. He finished his work of creation. He blesses it, and then he says, take your day off. Enjoy the work that I have done. This is work that you could never do, no matter how hard you tried. In fact, you're part of my work, so you, couldn't even, you weren't even here when I was doing most of this work, right? You could never do this work, so stop the work that you've got to do so you, you can enjoy the work that I have done. But then it's again in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the other place in the Old Testament that the Ten Commandments are um, kind of recorded for us, and this version is a little bit different. It kind of gives that same commandment, but with a little twist. And so here it is. It says, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, here's all the people again, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox or your donkey or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town, so that the male and female servants may rest as you do. Then he says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore... The Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, not only have I made everything, and that's a completed work, but now, people of Israel, I have just done a work that you could never do, and it's a finished work. I have freed you from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And he didn't just do it like, um, there was just no question that this was an act of God, right? It says, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he miraculously and powerfully freed the people of Israel who had been stuck in slavery for 400 years and now they were finally a free people. And you know what? Free people are allowed to take a break. Slaves are not. What are we slaves to, friends? But free people are allowed to take a break. So he says, ah, take a break so you can remember that you're free and so that you can remember the work that I have done. Stop your doing so you can remember the work that I have done. But this theme actually goes into the New Testament as well and I love it. I think it's so powerful. It's in the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is just such a cool book. It kind of unpacks so much of the story of Scripture for us. If you've never read it or studied it, I just really encourage you to do that. It's this whole book that's dedicated to actually unpacking Jesus' finished work for us on the cross. And it actually says, it says, it's not simply Adam and Eve who were the crowning achievement of God's work. It was Jesus' work that is the crowning achievement of all of God's work. And everything throughout the story of Scripture, everything in the story of the Old Testament, they're like shadows and reflections that point to this greater reality that is in Jesus. And then it says, um, I'll get to that in a second. So here's what it says about Jesus in, in all sorts of different ways. It says that God came down in human form. Says, so he's, he's not expecting us to kind of somehow find our way to him but he comes down to us in the midst of our chaos and our busyness and our mess of our lives. It says that he lived a truly Zoe life. He lived a life truly filled with the presence and the life and the vitality of God. He lived a life free from the sin and darkness and selfishness and evil that kind of racks all of our hearts. And then it says he willingly died for us. So, you know, it tells us, it kind of unpacks how he died to kind of take all of the consequences, all of the pain and the penalty and the death that comes from our sin, and he took them upon himself so that we could actually know his Zoe life. And then it says he rose again. He conquered death. He conquered death and, and all of the consequences of sin so that this whole new creation could, could begin through him. And then it says 
Hebrews says it more than any other book in the Bible, more than any other book in the New Testament. It says he sat down. It says he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that means? You only sit down when you're done working. You sit down to say, okay, my job is done. That's what it says he does. His work is finished. It's accomplished. And so it says Sabbath is meant to be this expression of the peace that we have with God because of his finished work. Here's what it says in Hebrews 4. It says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest, right? This is what Jesus has purchased for us. Rest, peace with God. Anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. God rested from his work in creation, and, and, and Jesus sat down, rested from his work on the cross. And so as we, we can engage in Sabbath to actually celebrate the work that he has done, and here's what it means. Just a few verses after that, it says, so let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is what Jesus' work has accomplished for us. We don't need to struggle or strive or expect that. I'm not sure if I can draw near to God. How is he going to respond to me? No, it says we can draw near to God because it's a throne of grace. And we can draw near with confidence, expecting fully that we're going to receive mercy and grace in all of our time of need. That's what Jesus has bought us for his work or from his work. And so we celebrate. We're meant to stop the work that we're doing so we can celebrate the work that he has done. Um, and I was thinking, okay, what are some ways that we could do this? Uh, the first thing that came to mind is, you know, one way we can do this is by singing. It's by singing. Cat uh, has an awesome memory whenever we kind of talk about what the heart of worship is. She has this memory of her uncle when she was a kid, this big man in South Africa who used to sing these hymns and songs in church. And he was completely out of tune, but he would bellow them out. And I think it's a, such a beautiful picture of what our celebration can look like. It's not about how good we can do. It's not about our performance. It's about his sheer delight is imperfect but sheer delight in God's accomplished work for him. How can you fill your Sabbath with music? Fill it with music. Sing when you come to church, but man, put music on in your car, put it on at home, like allow songs of celebration to kind of well up in your own mind and heart in Sabbath. Okay, wrapping up. Sabbath is not a burden to be endured, friends. It's a gift that's meant to be enjoyed for us. It means stop, stop for a full 24-hour period so that we can relate, so that we can recreate, so that we can celebrate. And what would it look like if we actually began to do this? If we didn't just have a day off or a day to get errands done, but we actually began to regularly implement Sabbath in our lives. I feel like this is a process that I've been trying to learn for years, and I'm getting better and better at it. I'm not quite there where I want to be, but I'm learning. And I'm actually learning to experience some of the stuff that I'm just talking about. But I really believe that actually if we were to implement this, this kind of Sabbath in our lives, the whole rest of our week would change. I just believe that. I believe every other day would change. Um, it wouldn't be the quantity of time that changes. We know that. We're, we're stuck with the same amount of time. Whether It would be the quality of time. Why? Because as we take the one day in seven to rest, to really rest in God, I just believe that his rest will fill the rest. His rest will fill the rest. You know? And isn't that what we want? Like, we know that most of us cannot escape the chaos, the burdens, the things in our lives that kind of weigh us down. Most of us cannot, and that's, that's really what our culture tells us, teaches us, right? That have your chaos, but then get, take a getaway, escape. Like, we use those words, right? We can't do that. God actually doesn't intend us to be that kind of people anyways. He actually intends his rest to fill 
the chaos of our lives. That's what I believe Sabbath is meant to be a gift for, so that his rest can fill the rest. So my encouragement to you is try it. Actually try to implement this over the course of this series. Maybe over the course of the summer. Hopefully summer is a time that sort of slows down a little bit for you anyway. So maybe you have a little bit more margin to kind of move things around or kind of make space for a day to relate, to recreate, to celebrate. Try it. See what God does in your life. Amen, guys. Uh, I just want to bless you in kind of a two-part blessing. Um, just as like from the moment I started preparing for this message, it just felt like, I don't know, like maybe, hopefully, maybe, God might want to do a work in someone here that's maybe been on this journey toward exploring Christ, but you still have so much unrest in your soul because you've never actually invited him into your life to actually be the one who sits on the throne, not only at the right hand of the throne of God, but on the throne of your own life. So you can begin this journey with him. And so I want to invite you, if you're kind of in that place, I don't know where you're at, you might be, I want to invite you to come forward after the service. Uh, Rob, one of our elders, is here, and I'll be here as well, and we'd love to just chat with you and pray with you and maybe even lead you into that decision for the first time yourself. And for everyone else here, I just want to bless you. I just feel like Sabbath is a thing that just so requires faith. Like it requires such a step of faith. And so I want to bless you with faith that God... That not, only that not only that his rest will go with you, you know, in taking one day that his rest will go with you in the other six, but that you'll actually see him doing more in the other six than you could with the full seven. I want to bless you with that kind of faith. Would you receive that this morning?